Hey everybody, I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you're here with us today. As you all know, this podcast is all about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. I do have a few things to mention before we get into today's episode, which if you've listened to the show before, this shouldn't be a surprise. So first, if you aren't already a subscriber, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to the show on so that you're always in the know when new episodes drop. And second, if you do find this podcast to be of value, and I hope you do, please share it with someone else too. I'm always looking to grow and reach more people. So you telling a friend or two or three is helpful for me to move the ball. All right. So today I've got an amazing guest here with us, someone who knows all about winning and being from Chicago and a Chicago Bulls fan. This is a conversation that I've really been looking forward to. So inside the huddle with us today and ready to help us to move the ball with his insights, his lessons and his experiences is Bill Cartwright. Bill is a retired professional basketball player and coach who is a five-time NBA champion, winning three championships as a player and then two as a coach with the Bulls. Bill was drafted in the first round of the 1979 NBA draft, third overall pick by the New York Knicks, and he played in the NBA for 16 seasons with the Knicks, the Chicago Bulls, of course, and the Seattle Supersonics. Following his time playing in the NBA, Bill served in numerous coaching positions, being an assistant coach and head coach with the Chicago Bulls, and also an assistant coach with the New Jersey Nets and the Phoenix Suns, and he also coached overseas. Now, I could go on and on and on, but I know you all want to hear from Bill too, not just me. So let's get into today's chat. Bill, welcome to the show. I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I'm very excited to have you with us today, being from Chicago. There's so many great memories I know that we're going to talk about. I'm really glad that you're here with us. And let's start off our conversation just talking about you growing up as a kid. You have six other siblings, all girls, three older, three younger. Talk to us about what it was like living with so many sisters and how did you get into basketball? Well, learning a great lesson had with six sisters. One thing you wanted to get up early and you wanted to get out of the house and just stay out of the way because my sisters are really bonded. So if you're getting in the way, you're basically going to have all six of them yelling at you. So you just really learned that lesson early. That probably led me to want to get out of the house and I love sports. Baseball, basketball, football, I played everything. So really encouraged me to get out of there and compete. And probably, I would say, in the seventh grade, I probably started playing basketball a lot. And naturally, uh, because I was taller, I was kind of guided to that a little bit, but really probably focused on it more after my sophomore year. For some weird reason, I thought I was going to be a baseball player. I was a pitcher. I loved it. But once I saw guys who had real talent, guys that could hit 350-foot home runs, 
after seeing those guys, maybe basketball is the key. Gotcha. And as someone who has played multiple sports, talk to us about what is it that being a competitive athlete taught you about how to be successful in life and in everything that you do? I've never been bounded in any of my thoughts because my tendency, and I was lucky enough to have people around me who were older than me, and I'd compete with them, whether it was baseball, basketball, football. So then now when you're playing with kids that are your own age, you can really be confident in playing that and know you can play it well. So being a, like most athletes that come from a family that's, we had enough to survive, but we didn't have what everybody else had. You're really hungry to play. You're really hungry to do well. I just really, as a kid, I had no fear. And just going after anybody. And then what you find out is that everybody's got a little fear. So you just learn to play. We always play. It doesn't matter what sport more than anybody. So then now you're really confident because just the time that you put in, especially when I was in high school, I had a great high school coach. I can pretty much promise you nobody was shooting more than we were. Nobody was playing more than we were. Nobody was more well rehearsed than we were. So when you're putting that kind of time in, you feel pretty good about yourself and pretty confident. Sure. And during your senior year of high school, you were the nation's number one high school recruit. What was it about you, Bill, that made you so elite? And what did you do to excel at your position? Just playing. It's really amazing that we played so much basketball, but we loved it. And when I say play, it's like during the summertime where people were off, they were on vacation, they were hanging out with their friends. Me and my group of guys were in the gym. Start in the morning, we'd shoot an inordinate amount of shots, and then maybe you'll have weights, and then you come back and shoot again, and maybe play some one-on-one, two-on-two. And then maybe you'd find that sometime to play again at night. So you were constantly playing. And like I said, you were so well-rehearsed. And also, you play against guys that were older. They were older, they were smarter, they were trickier. You were constantly learning of what to do. So uh, it was just a really great lesson that the time that you put in was a real benefit because you just get a lot better during the summer just by just rehearsing all the time, practicing all the time. Sure. And that repetition that obviously develops your skills and whether you're an athlete and you're playing a sport or just in life, I mean, the more that you do something, the better you should become at it. And I like that you talked about playing with older people as well, because I think the people that we surround ourselves matters, as we all know. And so if you're surrounding yourselves with people that are more skilled and more experienced, then that should help you to level up as well and become better at what it is you do. Yeah. And also, like I said, then now you play with people who are maybe two, three, or sometimes four years older. Those guys are bigger, stronger, faster, definitely trickier. So you're learning all those different skills at a really fast, high level you know what it takes to compete against those guys. So that now when you're playing against guys who are your own age or maybe a year younger, you have no fear because you've already been through that. You've already seen guys that are stronger, faster. Yes, and you played college basketball at the University of San Francisco. So tell us about, I know you were recruited by a number of top programs like Notre Dame, North Carolina, UNLV. Why did you choose USF? I grew up in California. I went to this high school, Oak Grove, 
California that was really fortunate that my junior year, we were 30 and out. My senior year, unfortunately, we lost five games, but we didn't win the Northern California Championship in the Oakland Coliseum. So there was time to go to college. I did not want to go to college out of California. So that eliminated pretty much a lot. So there was three schools that I was interested in, UCLA, USC, and USF. Because at that time, Bob Gaylor was the head coach of USF, great guy. And they had the great Phil Smith was there and guys like Eric Ferdston and, and Kevin Rustani and all those guys went into the NBA. So I really liked that group. So I visited UCLA. And the only thing was there is that UCLA at that point in time, they weren't really starting freshmen. Freshmen could start their first year, and you couldn't compete for it. So I felt like I was getting like 40 a game. So that was out. At USC, a lot of the players who were there had some problems with the coach that was there at the time. So that was out. And then at USF, everything there was so welcoming. And these guys are really dying to have me. And it was the closest city to Elk Grove, well, which is close to Sacramento. So my parents had come down, and I was just really very fortunate because that's where I was being led. We had a great time. And, and also, we had a great class coming in with James Hardy, who was a great player by Long Beach. One for Boynes, which was, he was a two-time Mr. Oklahoma, along with our other teammates that were there. Guys like Marla Redman, who played in the NBA. Guys like Mike Quick, who was in the NBA for a minute. So we had a really good team. And I was really excited when I got there. And you had a great career there, finishing still the USF's all-time leading scorer, 2,116 points, leading rebounder, 1,137 rebounds, career averages 19.1 points a game and 10.2 rebounds. You were three-time WCC Player of the Year. A lot of different accolades I could read on and on. So let's talk about your transition to the NBA. So I mentioned that you were drafted first round, third overall. What was that experience like going through the draft and then playing for the Knicks? It was pretty awesome. It was an awesome time. I can remember a trip going into Manhattan to get a taxi, driving into Manhattan, seeing all the huge buildings and all the folks. It was really an amazing time. My coach at the time was the legendary Red Holtzman. I had some great teammates at that point in time. Earl Monroe was on the team. Marvin Webster was the starting center. He ended up getting sick playing, playing a lot that year. But we just had some really great guys from all parts of the country. Guys like Toby Knight from Notre Dame, Glenn Zach, Vegas. We had some crazy guys with Michael Ray Richardson and Ray Williams on the team who were incredibly athletic guys, just a little crazy. We had some characters with Sly Williams, who went to Rhode Island. Guys like Jeff Houston, Texas Tech, Larry Demick, who went to Arizona, Hollis Copeland, who went to Rutgers. And they, they were all of our young guys. So we had a really young team coming in that first year and playing. So it was a great experience. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget my first professional game was against Philly. I played against Gerald Dawkins. I was very intimidated at that point in time because I had played against a guy that I had watched all through college. And then now, Gerald Dawkins on the floor. And also, 
the big star on the floor was Dr. J. It was just very, very cool stuff. Legendary guys. Offensively, I, I could score against anybody. At that point in time, my first year defensively, I couldn't guard anybody. So I really had to learn that lesson and take that beating for a while until I was able to learn, learn how to play smart, play position, learn when I could be aggressive to play in Washington at the time. So they got guys like Elvin Hayes and Wes Unsel, really tricky guys. Elvin Hayes, really, really tricky. Wes Unsel was built like a tree. So you had to go around him because that guy, nobody's moving that guy. Just a lot of lessons learned in that league at that point in time. And you just had to learn how to play. So great experience. That year was my first and only time I was on the All-Star team. I was averaging about 20 a game. So it was great. I think about it. That year was a real change in the league because in my draft class, the first person taking the draft was this guy by the name of Magic Johnson. Now, that year happens to be the first year Larry Bird came out as well. So the league really changed. The league had really cleaned up his act, and a lot of great things were happening on the court. So it was a special time. Sure. And one question that I like to ask folks that have played professional sports, usually my football athletes, is I ask them, what was the biggest eye-opening experience going from college to pro? So I'll ask you that same question. What was that big eye-opening experience going from college to the NBA? It's just every day. It's like an everyday job. It's a minimum of six days a week. I'm not sure it was eye-opening for me because I felt like I was ready to go. I felt like I was, I was pretty mature, so I could take care of myself. I was always semi-paranoid anyway, so I was always early, always on time. Tried to be really organized. But the biggest thing, I think, is that this is the competition every night. It's really, really good, and everybody can do something really well. So if you're playing against Golden State, at that point in time, now you got to get a guy like Clifford Ray who can beat the Tardia, and you had to be really tricky. And then coming off the bench for them at that point in time was this guy, Robert Parrish. Who ended up going over to Boston. So now you got these two guys coming at you. And also the league was a lot more physical because you could really deliver a blow and guys would test you. And you had to know how to play. So if a guy hit you, you felt like it was intentional. I can pretty much guarantee you that coming back the other way, you're going to get it back. So you had to understand guys and understand the league because if guys felt like they could bully you down, it was not a good thing. So you had to establish, as a rookie, you have to establish yourself not only with the players, but with the officials as well. Because let's face it, regardless of what they say or not, you're not getting a call. It's just learning all those different lessons. But I felt like I was ready. I was aggressive. I player anyway. And I only knew one way to play, and that's pretty much straight ahead. So. It was fun. It was fun times. And what advice would you give for college athletes now that are looking to go into the NBA? If there's one thing that you would tell them to help them be successful, what would that be? NBA is all about work. This is all about work. And it's, and it's about understanding what that organization or what that coach wants from you. You may be a great shooter. You may be the best shooter on the team, but if they don't need you to do that, you have to clearly understand what they want, what they believe is going to be the benefit of the team. As I played for the Knicks, I played for Red Holtzman, 
played for Hubie Brown, played for Bob Hill, and then played for Rick Pitino. And that was in nine years. So nine years, I have four different coaches. And I promise you, every single one of those coaches had a different vision for you. So I didn't like it, but I could adapt to it. And that's the biggest thing, I think, as an athlete, that you have to clearly understand what your role is and what the expectations are for them. And then hopefully you can get, get a little bit of what you think you are also. Great advice. I appreciate you sharing that. So let's talk about you going into your 10th year in the NBA with the Bulls and winning three championships as a player. So the Bulls won 91, 92, 93. Talk to us about what that experience was like winning that first championship. Well, think about it. That's 88. That was going to be my 10th year of the league. And this is what we were talking about before. The Bulls needed me. They needed somebody to guard. I was a scorer, but my role there is they wanted me to guard. I was ready to play that role. You know, I knew the league really well. I knew the players really well. We had upstart guys, you know, not only with Michael, but Scotty, Horace. They were both in their second year. John Paxson. We ended up getting uh, great guys off the bench. I call them our second group of starters, which ended up being guys like B.J. Armstrong, Stacey King, Scott Williams. Just really great young guys. So it took us two years. People forget it took us two years to overcome the dreaded Detroit Pistons. And I always talk about that in times again, because we should really credit them. Because after we were able to overcome them, we were able to win three straight championships. So just being able to be tougher, smarter, play our own game. After we were able to overcome them and develop our own style of playing offensively, defensively, and at that point in time, we did something that teams don't do now. We had we had played two groups of guys, so we could play 10 guys or more on the floor to adapt to the other team's weaknesses. So it was a special time. We had a great GM with Jerry Krause. We had a great coaching staff, of course, Phil, Tex, Johnny Bach, and Jim Clemens. We had a special, special, special organization, and it was it was great. It was it was just a great time. And so you mentioned the Pistons. So in that the ninety one series, you guys defeated the Pistons four zero. The Lakers had beaten the Trailblazers four two to get to the championships. You ended up beating the Lakers four to one, playing some great people like Magic Johnson, for example. You mentioned some of the great Bulls players on the teams. And then let's talk about the second and the third championship. So you know, going back to back is one accomplishment. Getting a three peat is an even greater accomplishment, and something that doesn't happen very often. So next year, you guys end up playing the Portland Trailblazers in the series, win 4-2, play Phoenix Suns in 93, again, win the series 4-2. Talk to us about what in your mind do you think led to your continual success and that three-peat? We were able to keep our team together, definitely kept our core group together for all three of those years. And we're just continuing to add pieces. That's really Jared Krause, our GM, being able to do that every single year. So we're really very fortunate blessed to, to keep our team together, which nowadays that's not going to happen. Team wants a championship, they can leave. Portland wasn't easy. Those guys were Clyde Drexler. I can promise you those guys were, were hard to play against. But we were just matched up with them. We can match up with a smaller team. We can match up with a bigger team. So we were able to overcome them. And also when we played 
Phoenix, they actually played smaller. So we went smaller. Fortunately, we had big shots made by not only Michael, but the legendary big shot by John Paxson as Danny Yanks double team score screen on both. Who's John Paxson wide open for three. That's after we lose a game in Chicago that we series should have been over, but we had to go back to Phoenix and beat them there. So, you know, we're just able to keep our team together and we stay championships. And you had a great coach with Phil Jackson. When you look at Phil as a coach, as a leader, what are the qualities that you think made Phil a great coach? I think when you have an ability to have a solid game plan, I don't like the idea that you're selling something. It's like where people have bought into something. And that's almost the idea that you have something to sell. And it's more the idea that you're being taught something. And then after you're taught something, you have to be able to make that yours. And that's what really happened to us is that whether it was offensively or defensively, it's kind of like, this is what we do. This is what we do as a team. This is how we play. This is our style. This is what we do. And I think that that's the biggest thing, that to be able to teach something that works or that the players believe works, and why it's going to be successful. Sure, let's talk about your transition into coaching. So I mentioned when I read your bio that you finished up your career with Seattle, and then you transitioned into coaching as an assistant coach, working with Phil Jackson. Talk to us about how did that come to be, and why were you interested in coaching? I wasn't. I was finished with Seattle. I finished grad school. I got a phone call from Jerry Krause, asked him if I wanted to coach. I told him, I don't know if I want to coach because that's most of lined up. And plus, there's guys here already who are well ahead of me, and I'm not stepping over those guys. So two days later, he called me back, said, don't worry. I took care of those guys, and I kind of viewed that as maybe that's what I should be doing. Maybe that's where I'm being led. So I was in Sacramento at the time, back five kids, got on the bus. <laughs> Back to Chicago, started coaching. That was going to be our fifth and sixth championship team. So I was happy to be there. I was happy to be part of those staff. I knew exactly what they were doing. I had to learn how to scout. Yeah, guys like Frank Hamlin, who were there, they kind of taught me how to scout. And guys like Tex Winter, they teach me how to be a coach. So it was a great experience that I had. And those last two years when Phil was there. But no, I didn't attend a coach, that's for sure. And you mentioned winning the two championships in 97, 98. Both times you guys ended up beating Utah, the Jazz, to win the championship. How was that like for you being a coach versus being a player in the championship series? I tell you what, I was tired, man. More tired being a coach than I was a player because of all the time that you had to put in. You know, you just learn how to go to school and really find out how to do it and put that time in. Not only different than being a player where you're working, you're working on your skills. Now you're working on learning your opponent and what they do, what they do well, and what we do well against them. So it's a different type of mindset. But yeah, it was funny because I was actually tired, really more tired initially than I was playing. It It was a great experience. And was it easier coaching in the 98 championship against the same opponent, or did you find it was more challenging? It was challenging because, look, those guys, Utah was actually a lot like us. They had a system. We had our system. They had really good players. 
with uh, Stockton Malone, but a lot of their other guys, they were good, man. We had to play well. We had to attack them, especially in transition. I think we were both the first and second best records of the league. They were really formidable, so we were lucky, I think, to get on top of them, to be able to beat them because they were really good. And you went on to coach for a couple other teams post the Bulls. One question before we transition to what you're doing now for those players that are interested in going into coaching after their playing career, what kind of guidance would you give them? I think the big thing with coaching is that you have to be who you are. You got to know what you want to do. And you should write your plan out exactly. Whether you're a transition team, whether you're a defensive team, just every single element of that sport. And then now, you know, you can get the technical stuff and talk about what you're going to do play-wise. So there's a lot of detail that you have to have. For me, I am a teacher of basketball, and I always say that. Every element of it, I know what I like. Is there one way of doing things? Absolutely not. So, Bill, what I want to do now to wrap up our show is I want to transition to my two-minute drill and just ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) My first question is, what did you want to be when you were 10 years old? Okay. So my next question is, what is your favorite vacation spot? The best vacation I've ever had was in Delmar. I don't know, I've gotten there play golf, went to the racetrack. Had a great time and probably never choose. How about what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Rocky Road. That is a great choice. One of my favorites as well. My next question is what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I did read this book. It's called Rich Dad. And it's kind of interesting because it just talks about how kids should know the value of money. And being taught in high school, college, it's pretty amazing that the thing that we need the most in our life to know about, there's no class on it. So I'm just really just curious about some of those thoughts. Yeah, I've read that book as well. It's a great book. And I was very fortunate. You're right. I mean, there's not a lot of that is taught in high school, in junior high. I know that some high schools now are trying to incorporate some more of that into the curriculum, but definitely financial literacy and understanding money is something that's definitely very important to learn at an earlier age than when you're an adult. And my last question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? I didn't know who my grandparents were. So... On both sides, because my mom and dad, their parents passed. So I would love to be able to know them and be able to spend some time with them and some of their thoughts. Because even with uh, talking to my dad and my mom, so many historic things have happened. And I think that, that I didn't know. So imagine if I can go back another generation or two, they find out even more where we come from, our heritage, thoughts, who they really were as people. I would really love to have that conversation, especially if I could see them if they were young. Seeing my parents, my dad's 89 now, and when my dad was young, he was a peace, strong guy, and I would love to see him even younger. 
that'd be really, really cool. Sure. Well, that sounds like an amazing dinner party conversation to have for sure. So Bill, as we look to close our show, are you on social media? Or is there a place that people can kind of keep up with the great things that you're doing now with USF? And my own podcast, it is the Bill Cartwright Show, and it is on YouTube. So USF people on, I have some NBA people on. It's very entertaining. I try to speak a lot, so I can really get get in a lot of things. But some of my teammates have been on it, and like the longest we've been on is guys like Stacey King, Greg Hodges, BJ on, guys like Will Purdue. Just a lot of my teammates, a lot of my college teammates as well, as long as other really, really interesting people. So it's just been a lot of fun. But the Bill Cartwright Show, YouTube, you will enjoy it. Perfect. And we'll be sure to have a link to your show in the show notes so people can check out your podcast as well. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a true pleasure having you on, reliving some great memories of Chicago Bulls basketball as well. And again, really appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And at one point in time, you and I are going to chat because it just looking at what you're doing, I don't know if anybody, uh, I thought I stayed busy. Holy smokes, are you a busy person? <laughs> so that's really amazing. Thank you. Yes, people will often say I'm the busiest person they know. So never a dull moment over here. For sure. Yeah. And also, since now you know that I have a restaurant in Highwood, I would love to have you come down to visit us. Oh, absolutely. I will be there for sure. Thank you so much for that. Yes, yes. I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. And yeah, we'll talk more about that. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, please, again, tell somebody about the show. Would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. Thank you to those who do reach out to me and share what you're thinking and what you enjoy about the show. And we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.